0: Welcome back into a brand new episode of dimming the gaslight. My name is Mac and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. Um, So before we get into this week's guest, just want to give you a quick update. Visits have been going really well. Um, My back is tremendously, tremendously better, Um, but I've been making the joke with people. I think I have Aaron Rodgers sympathy pains because I think from favoring my back on one side, now my Achilles is killing me. So I'm a ball of complaints. Uh, My body is hurting, and I also got sick, so now I have a bit of a cold. But besides that, things have been going well, especially with drop-off. My kids really did understand consequences when it came to losing his um, football privilege. And uh, so he's been really good about it, so I'm glad. One more thing, too, is that I want to let you guys know that this coming Tuesday should be a continuation of my DV trial. Um, the odd thing is, is that Brittany Parisi at a Parisi law firm in New Jersey and I have both not heard from the court. We've been trying to contact them. Um, we have not heard back from the marital judge. We haven't heard back from the DV judge. So something feels a little off. I'm really hoping that I, I get in front of a judge because if this does happen, it's supposed to be a full day. And uh, this is what I keep pushing as perjury day. And I feel super encouraged, you know, because I have a great lawyer. I have a great judge who's willing to listen. And uh, it's a full day. So like, I have no reason to be anything other than optimistic. But um, I'm just kind of, it feels weird because for some reason, something's going on and we're not hearing back from the court. So if it does happen, next week's episode will be about that. So I I really hope that it does. But um, yeah, so besides that. Uh, the guest this week is Jared Mello from the wizard of radical self-respect. I did Jared's YouTube channel, uh, which was really fun. We had a great conversation and now he's returning the favor and he's doing my show because, uh, his story, I'm going to tell you guys right now, it might need a little, uh, listener discretion advised because it's a heavy topic about addiction, um, as it equates to narcissistic abuse, um, Now, keep in mind, like, you know, everybody has their own story to tell. um, But I really relate to Jared and I really like what he's trying to do by turning his, you know, pain into power and, you know, encouraging other people in their recovery. So, uh, yeah, I think you guys are going to like this episode. Check it out. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So this is super cool. Last week, I did an episode with Jared from the Wizard of Radical Self-Respect. And so now I'm kind of turning the tables on him a little bit. And now I was on his show and he's on my show. But Jared, you're lucky today because when I did your show for the first time ever, I did a live interview and we're not live. So it's not as not as hard on you as it was for (laughs) me.
1: You you get making it easier on me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me on on that show. It was a lot of fun. And I went back and I watched it and uh, I got a lot of good feedback from friends and family and people who listened. So I wanted to bring you on my show so we could hear a little bit about your story. I told my story. So now I want to hear a little bit about you. So this is your episode. Where do you want to get started?
1: Well, first, again, thank you again for coming on my show there. That was a great show. I had a great time interviewing you. And but now I'm excited to talk about like my stuff here. I haven't spoken about some of this for a while, but yeah. we can start with my upbringing. I guess we'll say where I had an upbringing that uh, my dad, a little on the controlling side, and perhaps some narcissistic traits, maybe on the spectrum, it doesn't really matter which one it was. The behaviors are what matters, and the behaviors were. If super into baseball, so he had, like, a golden child, which was me for a little while. I was the golden child. And as long as I was playing baseball and living up to his fantasy, things were rocking and rolling. But he was an old-school guy, really into hard work, really controlling, really into image, really important to be in shape and to not be lazy. And that was my upbringing. And it wasn't all good.
0: Do you have any siblings?
1: Yeah, I was the oldest of four.
0: And how did he treat the other siblings?
1: So when I was playing baseball and doing things the way he wanted me to do, they were kind of second fiddle. And he would say to like my little brother, closest in age to me, oh, why can't you be more like Jared? Jared's in good shape because he was a little overweight. And then until I quit baseball, then all of a sudden the tables turned and all of a sudden I was the problem and everything I did was a problem. And. And partially it was because of me, too, where I became a hooligan a little bit, too. I had a lot of anxiety and I wanted to act out to fit in and I
0: would start like being a hooligan was it a little rebellious like towards your dad because you knew that that's what he wanted you to be. And maybe that's what he wanted. You know, it's like those, those teenage, like uh, what are they called? John Hughes movies where like, this is your goal. This isn't mine. <laughs> yeah. It was like that. I always, it's like Lincoln parks, numb. If yeah. you know that song by
1: him or he says like, basically, can't you see that you're smothering me, holding me too tightly, all that kind of good stuff and not trying to live up to what his image was, but more like be my own person. And I did like baseball, but I just wasn't playing anymore. So it wasn't fun for me. Like I was just sitting on the bench. So I said, forget this. And at the same time, I had this terrible anxiety, which some of it was I was born with. Some of it was also from having more of a narcissistic parent. But whatever it was, I couldn't stand how I felt in my own skin. And I wanted to jump out of my skin and disassociate at all times. And that's pretty much how I lived my life. From about 13 to about 24, I would self-medicate with drugs, self-medicate with drinking. And that was a, this is a whole story in and of itself. Just that phase right there, right, where in high school, it was really just drugs. Drugs was my thing, weed, psychedelics, that kind of good stuff. And I didn't get in too much trouble. But then I went to West Virginia University and that's where let me tell you where greatness or what do they what's the expression they have there where greatness is learned and couches are burned And <laughs> WVU and they're big into football big into binge drinking and i fit right in with that binge drinking crowd let me tell you
0: i when i think of west virginia i mean i hope i don't piss any listeners off at this but i think of a party school
1: that, that it is on the east coast it's one of the bigger ones i'm not going to say it's the biggest hey. but people would come from miles around to go party at west virginia when i yeah. was there and i was like a circus attraction drinker back then where like i would get so out of my gourd people would like like to see it as entertainment and yeah. i didn't realize i was even making a fool of myself at the time but i was i was making a fool of myself and but it was because I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. But when I drank, all of a sudden, all of that dis-ease and all of that uncomfortability and anxiety all melted away. And it wasn't so bad until when I went home from my freshman year of college, my parents said to me, Jared, if we catch you with alcohol in your breath, we're going to take away your keys. And so like any good addict hooligan, I was like, well, if they're going to do that, I can't just do nothing. I have to do something. And then I discovered like methadone. And that was even more effective than drinking because at that point it was longer acting and I wasn't going to get stupid. Like you can still kind of be in your a little more in your right mind than being completely blitzed. But it was
0: still destructive. If we, people don't know the reaction to I don't know the reaction to methadone. So can you explain a little bit about how you feel on methadone? So for me,
1: and this is what they'll say to people who are programmed to be addicted to opiates is that if it gives you energy and like you get like a jolt of manic energy, you have the kind of brain that's programmed to be addicted to opiates. And that's what it was for me. So like I would be a little more on the depressed side. And then you get this warm, comfortable, fuzzy feeling of invincibleness is basically what it was in the beginning, a warm, comfortable invincibleness. But you would also be nodding off a little bit, too, where you do the old chin to chest there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, so that methadone is what they give people to get off of heroin, basically. Right. And I discovered it because one of my friends, he would steal it from his mother and she was getting like a prescription of it and he would steal it from her and then give some to me. And that was the beginning of a terrible few years for me where I went backwards through the drug stage. I went to methadone, then to oxycotton, And in and, and West Virginia, oxycotton's is what they call the hillbilly heroin. Yeah. Right. And, and so I jumped and that was all just like when I was sober, I just couldn't, I couldn't even live. Like I just had no comfortability in my skin, complete anxiety, no self-esteem, no self-respect, no boundaries, no assertiveness, no nothing. And then one pop of a pill, and then all that would appear to change. And then boom, I would just be a completely different person. I felt like Superman. I felt like the person that could conquer the world. And so whenever I didn't have any drugs, I was like, man, I can't wait to just not feel this way anymore. And there was a struggle, man. I, and I went down some dark roads where, because I went from methadone to Oxycontin, and then I went to rehab because my parents, they took me away from school. They took me away from West Virginia because they realized I had spent my whole loan refund check on oxycotton. And I told them about it one night when I was drunk. And, I was, and so they said, all right, we're taking you from school. And I was really resentful of that. And then they sent me to a rehab, they sent me to a place called Seabrook house and I just wasn't ready to be good, though. Like, I was still extremely uncomfortable in my own skin. And even the people there, they told my parents, oh, we could have let him go after the first week. He's just been – because I was also quiet. Like, I was one of those kids that it would appear like I was being good because I was just being quiet. So I'd fly under the radar a little bit. But on the inside, I was still tormented. On the inside, I was still a mess. And so the first day I left rehab was the first day I did heroin. And I learned about the streets of New Jersey, basically, from from hooligans that I met at the rehab, because if you're not ready to get better, you meet all the wrong people at rehab, just like in jail. Right. You meet all the wrong people in jail. I met all the wrong people at rehab.
0: You say, you know, you meet all the wrong people. I mean, I can see how this behavior you're almost like trying to like fill a void in those cracks or, or something. And I can see how this leads to narcissism because I can see how a narcissist would fill those cracks for you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I did that whole drug thing for a little while longer. I eventually I got like a felony for a drug possession. And then I got on drug replacement. I got on Suboxone. But I was a mess and I got really freaking lucky because even after I was on drug replacement Suboxone, I would still pop some Xanax and I would black out and drive. And it's pretty much a miracle that I'm alive. Like the very last thing that I did with drugs that way was I was at a bar with my girlfriend at the time. And at this point in my life, I was probably considered more the narcissistic person because I was an active addiction. I was a hooligan. And what happened was I (laughs) just thinking back at this, I was ridiculous. I used to take four two milligram Xanax. And that's a lot of Xanax, right? And I remember this one time, the last time I did it, I took three. And I remember thinking, oh, this isn't gonna work. But not only did it work, I blacked out and what I would consider time traveling. I time traveled. Time traveled and
0: I then... a lot of weekend mornings saying I've time traveled last yeah, night.
1: Yeah, that's how it is, right? You time travel with things like Xanax and Calodapin. You time travel. And I woke up. And what happened was I drifted off the road driving, completely blacked out, and I went into a median on a on a wall, but somehow I wasn't driving very fast by the time I hit it. So like I just kind of like gracefully pushed up against it. Cops came and they arrested me, but they didn't drug test me for some reason, and they didn't uh give me a breathalyzer, but I wouldn't I would have passed the breathalyzer anyway, but cuz I was just on drugs. But at the time, my girlfriend was following me and she lost me and she called the police station so much that they didn't drug test me. They just released me into her custody. And I told them I just took too much of my Suboxone and I never got a DUI for that. And so I said, you know what? This is the universe telling me I got to like put a stop to this stuff. And I did. And that was the beginning of the next chapter of my life here. <laughs> Okay, let's get into
0: it. And, now and this is just the beginning. Because oh I, I, I understand, I like the setup, because I understand how, like, that sort of, the voids that you were trying to, to fill with drugs and alcohol and that sort of stuff. I can see how a narcissist might kind of prey on that if you were, like, into, like, self-improvement and, like, trying to get better and trying to turn your life around. I can see how a narcissist might prey on that. Absolutely.
1: So, from there... I went. I started going to AA. I started going to NA. And this was a life-changing thing for me. And writing on the 12 steps of Narcotics Anonymous, I use a lot of the wisdom that I learned in NA and from writing on those steps and learning about myself. I use a lot of that in what I do now. And what I do now on content on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, a lot of that is things I learned in NA. And so I'm so grateful to have learned a lot of that stuff. And I was able to do it, right? Like what happened was once I had enough of drugs and drinking, I was done. I was like, you know what? I associated it with like terrible consequences for my life. And I said, you know what? I'm tired of crashing cars. I'm tired of just like disappointing everybody and getting in trouble with the law. So it became easier to stop. But I still had that uncomfortable feeling in me. And instead of drugs and alcohol, then I decided I need a girlfriend. Women will be that cure. But it wasn't like the way a narcissist would do it. It would be more like the way a borderline would do it, where they just want that one ideal love to make everything all better. And that was me. And I had a relationship in the beginning there that I made this girl my higher power. like She was everything. The way she saw me. Was how I saw myself. And if she was happy with me and giving me love, I was on top of the world. So, this is a girl I met at a restaurant. And this isn't really, she might have been a little narcissistic, but she wasn't the true narcissist I eventually met. She was just maybe a little on the narcissistic side. And I met her at a restaurant, but like I got sucked in the codependent hole with her where I, I made her my everything. And basically, I just became like a doormat people pleaser for her. And she eventually lost attraction for me, and she was just like, what is this dude? He's got nothing going on in his life because I really didn't care about anything else. Like my work life and all that stuff, I was 24, 25 at the time. I didn't care about that stuff. Like I was so short-sighted. I was just like, I just want a girlfriend.
0: Probably like in, into like, cause you know, coming from your childhood and your upbringing and that sort of stuff, like you were probably into instant gratification. So yeah. like it, the long term picture really didn't mean much to you as long as you could feel good right now.
1: Yeah, it, and that's exactly what it was, right? I just did not think long term at all. I was extremely impulsive, and everything was for the moment. And then in a way, you kind of you know you feel better in a way doing that because you're not being responsible. Like, you don't have to think. You don't have to worry about the future when you're in that thinking. It's the same thing with drugs and drinking, right? Like, when I had a drug, everything was all better. But then I didn't have a drug. Everything was terrible. But it was like what, all you needed to do was one thing, and everything was better. But then as you grow up, and your frontal lobe and your brain develops a little more, that's no that's no longer true.
0: Well, And like, that addictive personality turns into addiction to a person.
1: Yeah. So... <laughs> I became that way for a while with that girl where she was my everything, and we eventually broke up, and then I struggled with women for several years after that. I still was in the rooms, and it wasn't until, and this is another part of the story, I started to find supplements, and that finally started to give me some relief from the anxiety and from the depression that I
0: always had. Supplements like CBD and stuff?
1: Well, I take things like SAMe, niacinamide, GABA, taurine, tyrosine, probiotics, magnesium, D3, a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. But for me, they've all really helped. And they're a part of the story because I'm a different person now, Mm -hmm. not only because of those things, right? It's part of the picture. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like I used to consider myself like an anxiety disordered person. And I don't feel that much anxiety anymore today. And that's a blessing. To me, that's a blessing.
0: Oh, yeah, especially after what you went through.
1: Oh, yeah. And so, like, I'm very grateful for that part of it here, too. But I say there's a scientific component. I think for me, it seemed like there was just something going on with my hormones and neurotransmitters that something was just out of whack. And I and I always say to people, I don't care what works for people as long as it works. So if someone takes prescription drugs, that's fine. I mean, if it works for you, it works for you.
0: I take supplements. I've been that way too. And like, you know, especially, you know, I've obviously grown up, right? And we all had our, our kind of wild roaring 20s or whatever it is. But like, I've kind of been the same way now. It's like, I'm very like, I allow people to do what they do. Even if people are like drunk around me or if they're high around me or like whatever they are, it's like, I just like look at people and be like, if you're not hurting anybody and you're just like existing high like kind of fucking just do your thing man like who am i to judge you do you and that's how i see it but right? and
1: i see it that way now where people do what they want you can do what you want to do but that that isn't how i thought of it though when i was still going to AA and na when i was there i saw i saw the world as there's addicts and then there's everybody else the normies I would call them and I would see everything through that lens and I would kind of judge them. I'd be, I would judge them pretty harshly, but I also judged myself pretty harshly too. And so like it wasn't a very pleasant existence there for a while, but this kind of all leads me to finally, I get a good supplement routine. I'm starting to rock and roll a little bit, but I still kind of got that hole in me. I'm still trying to seek something to make it all better And, and then insert my narcissistic woman that i meet and this is a good story behind how i met her i'll never forget it so i'm a poker player sometimes right so sometimes i play poker and i went to park's casino and right next to me was this beautiful brazilian girl and the guy across from me was flirting with her but she didn't she wasn't feeling him so i didn't really even say anything to her but we chatted like just very briefly. And by chance I gave her my Instagram before I left and I didn't think anything was going to happen. I like, do oh, some hot girl, she's not going to, she's not going to text me, but like before I'm even in the parking lot, she texts and then we started talking. And then this is when the love bombing just like went poof and, and to paint the picture here. Right. So I'm a guy that's a little more codependent, a little more, I still have some anxiety at this point, but like, I'm so I'm not as assertive or like sure of myself that that I am now. And she probably picked up on that. And then the love bombing came on strong. And I had a podcast at this time, and this is probably about five, six years ago now. And then I said, you know what? She was a photographer. And she said, I said, I need to take some pictures for my cover art. And she was like, Oh, I take some pictures of you. And that provided her the opportunity for the perfect love bombing so she was taking pictures of me and in her brazilian little soft accent she'd be like oh wow you're so handsome and she'd just like blow my head up to no end
0: you know it's funny so i talk to a lot of people who like now that they're out of their narcissistically abusive relationship they always go like oh i can't imagine getting another relationship or i can't imagine kissing somebody else or sleeping with somebody else or whatever it is and i'm just like listening to your story and I tell a lot of people, it's like, listen, when you do the things that you love, you find the people that you're meant to be around. So, like, for example, I'm a foodie, right? So if, like, I'm going stag around New York City and I'm going food tasting or whatever, I'm going to find somebody who's like-minded like that. But, you know, you're just making me think as you tell your story, like, you're like, yeah, I'm sitting at a poker table. And I'm like, well, you're going to find like-minded people Yeah, at the poker table. You know what I'm saying?
1: And I did. I, and, and for my troubles, I did. But, like I said, I don't regret this now either right i'm I'm happy this all happened and and similar with my upbringing too i'm I see like my parents now and my dad you know they did the best they could. it could have certainly been better, but you know their upbringing was pretty tough as well and they and they was it's hard man, I don't know how the heck they did it like my parents were young when they had me too they were twenty five and twenty four and I think to myself, man, I would have been in no way ready to have kids at 25 or 24. I was stupid. And here they are. They have me and then three more kids right after me. And that's a lot to deal with. So I say that because it's helped my, with my resentment towards them. I'm like, I forgive hmm. because it wasn't so bad where I needed to like cut them off or right. go no contact with them. Right. It was just it wasn't pleasant. It could have been better. But I let go of the resentments. Hard to play in that. I'm sure you were a little hellion growing up. Oh, of course I played a big, but, and that's part of it too. Growing up when I was the hooligan, they always made it seem like it was all my fault. And of course it's your fault. And I said, yeah, it is my fault, but it wasn't until, and this leads right back to where we are. I didn't recognize that about them at all, but this Brazilian girl, right? So she takes all these pictures of me and she's love bombing me like out of control. And I sleep with her that day, like the first day we hang out, I sleep with her, and, and since she was, like, smoking hot, one of the hottest girls I've ever been with, like, I was, at that point, I was already, like, pretty much hooked, and then we took a trip to Maryland, I helped her get her license, and, and this is the other,
0: you hung out, or hmm? after the first time you hung out,
1: oh, this is, like, maybe a week later, holy fuck, man, where, you...
0: Have an addictive personality.
1: Okay. Oh yeah, we uh, and this is what they picked up on a little bit, right? The women, a sm- like a smoking hot girl that's a narcissist, she can have a lot of power over a guy if she really wants to, right? And she wasn't the grandiose kind, mm-hmm. like she was the covert variety where she still liked a lot of admiration. She would post a lot of pictures of herself online with cleavage and getting a lot of attention, all that good stuff. But one of the red flags the other guys got to watch out for is. If there's a hot girl that's posting pictures from all over the world on Instagram and no one's in the pictures with her, you got to wonder who's taking those pictures. And this is going to be a cliffhanger to Mm. how it's going to end here. But so this girl, we went to Maryland together. And the other good thing she did with the love bombing was like, you know, when you share music with people, it's like sharing a part of your soul. You're like, here you go. Here's part of my soul. And what was that? I do the, my song of the day. Yeah, exactly. And you, the other day, your song of the day was the Counting Crows guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, for, for us '90s kids. <laughs>
0: yeah, you you commented
1: on that. <laughs> so so I played my songs like old school stuff, sometimes classic rock, '80s stuff, or whatever it was. And every song that she pl- I played when it was all done, she like she could be like, Jad, I love all of that, all of it, I love," and like. Looking back on it now, I just would have taken it with a grain of salt. But at the time, when I'm like looking for a soulmate, the person who's gonna be my one, the one to make things all better, I was like, oh, she's really that into me. This is the most amazing thing. And like, and that was the second part that really had me hooked. Was first, it was the love bombing and sex, and then the music thing, and I was done for.
0: Yeah,
1: I And wait. she knew that though too. She knew it. She knew, it. and she had this she had a whole slew of guys on her roster that I just didn't know about at the time.
0: So how far was it into, like, so you said you slept with her on the first date and you took a trip, you know, within a week. Like, was there ever a time, like, maybe on, like, the trip? I mean, like, that might have been, like, your proverbial honeymoon phase, but, like, was there ever a time where you started to see the mask kind of slip for an instant and then, like, revert back?
1: Yeah, there were times where... I would go to her place up in like North Jersey and there would be like little instances where I see a condom wrapper on her bureau Mm. and it wasn't my condom wrapper either. And like, I would look at it and I point at it to her and this is where like the childlike version of her would come out and she would be like, and she would act like she was all upset and scared and nervous. And she said, Oh, that was, that's from a couple months ago. I'm thinking to myself, who keeps a condom wrapper on their bureau for a couple months? Yeah. But I didn't pursue it any further than that. She ran to the bathroom, act all embarrassed about it. And if this, something like this would have happened to me today, I'm like, well, clearly you hooked up with someone pretty recently. Yeah. Shit. Right. But I didn't think about that at all. I was just like, ah. Eh. that's such an example of how we
0: ignore the red flags. Like that's could, a big one. Yeah. Bigger red flag than that.
1: Right. That was, that was a big red flag. And And this is what I say to people, too. When I was head over heels for her, those good feelings made me want to ignore those red flags. It made me blind to them. And sex can have a powerful effect over a lot of guys, really. And especially if they're attractive, even better. And so she did that. I ignored it because of all the good feelings I was feeling. And the red flags. The Instagram one was a red flag, too, but we'll we'll get to why that was a red flag. But the devalue became pretty quick because this wasn't really a long, long relationship. It was just like a short but intense relationship. And I thought I was going to marry this girl. I thought this girl is the one for me. We're going to like spend our life together. But looking back at it now, I'm like, man, I was just so naive. I was so naive and innocent to think that Where I know now I wouldn't even be able to to think that way, but that's what I thought at the time. I wanted I wanted to introduce her to my family, and I never did that. I would never introduce women to my family, but I wanted to introduce her. And and part of this was the Brazilian thing too. She had this like soft Brazilian accent to her, where it's like it played on my like part of me that wanted to save somebody and like take care of somebody. And that's an element of it here too, because. there's a little bit of a language thing going on. She spoke English, but it was like a childlike English because she was like, she's still learning the language. And that added to it, too. So then what happens is she goes out to California to hang out with a guy friend and she tells me about this. And I'm like, huh, that is, doesn't sound quite right. Hang, going to California to hang out with a guy friend? And here I am thinking we're about to be boyfriend, girlfriend or something, or I'm going to marry her is what I'm thinking. But here she is going to go off to see this guy friend. And this is when the story started narcissistic stories. Uh And so she called me and I was jealous and butthurt, which didn't help my cause. Right. So she caught me being jealous and I asked her, like, what did you do? And then the story was, oh, well, this guy picked me up from the airport and there was a hole in his windshield when we got to, this, to his car. Someone smashed a hole in his windshield. And she said that they looked around the airport and the parking lot all night to find the guy that or the person that put a hole in the windshield. And I'm like, huh? Like, that's really what you did? And And looking back now, I was like, no, that's not what happened at all. What happened was you probably just went to his house and you slept together and that's it. That's what happened. But instead, she came up with this whole story. But what, again, telling that story about the windshield to get out of. I don't know if you just It's just a narcissistic story. Just a way to not say that she hooked up with that guy. Just uh, a way to not make me think that she was doing exactly what she was doing.
0: Oh, right. So we—no, we spent, No, we didn't hook up. We spent the evening looking around the airport parking lot for who broke my windshield. Right,
1: right. But I was naive enough to not, like, dive
0: into it. But we all know. like, So, like, when we're going through narcissism and, like, you know, they're lying to our face and we know it's not true. And like, it's almost like simple math. Like we're like counting up all the things that like, does this equal this? Does this and like something's wrong. And the more you question them, the more outrageous things get. And like to a point where like nothing's believable. And then you just say, you just throw your hands up and say, fuck it. I don't even, I don't even know how to make sense of this.
1: There was, I mean, there was no making sense of it. Right. For me, it was just, it was a trauma bond plus being head over heels and with that, I was willing to disrespect myself and put myself through all sorts of hell if only she would like give me some love and affection because that's what it came down to again. like I would put up with anything. I just wanted her there because when I was in her presence at the time, everything felt all better, well, just if- like a drug.
0: Ah, see, my man, That's what I was going to say, see, so you're filling that void, those voids that you used to fill when you were younger. Now you just yeah. speak of supplements. You just supplemented it for sex. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was
1: it was sex plus just that like lovey dovey romantic feeling. Right.
0: Right. No, I get that. I get that. I don't want to say it's all because of sex, but there's just like a certain level of camaraderie that you have when you're like, oh, I have someone and you know, you you want to believe that she's only with you and this is only for you, but you're coming to find that it's not. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. So one of the last times we hung out, well, and I can't even say the
1: last times, but there was like phases of this relationship, too, where one of the last times we took a trip to New York. And I still remember songs, if I hear them today, that remind me of that car ride I took with her to New York. One of them was um, "East Side." What the heck is the name of that song? when i was young that song it starts with that like when i was young and it goes on into the east side where the city don't sleep but anyway she was dancing to that song and she was dancing to a song from someone else and i went to get a tattoo and she was showing me her phone and i see the guy that she went to see in california with his arm around her and she gets all embarrassed about this too acting like she didn't want me to see it but I know now that I was really just like a triangulation attempt, right, to try to make me jealous and try to make me squirm.
0: Oh, my my next does that shit, too. It was like one time I was at my son's football game and my next uh, like was putting on his football pads or something and intentionally put her phone vertically in front of me so I can see the background of her and her boyfriend on the screen. <laughs> like, thanks for the confirmation that I'm better looking. <laughs> right. And they do that very purposefully. Right. The narcissistic people, they love to
1: triangulate. Not the same way a borderline would, but they like to see you squirm, and they like to see you get a little upset. Oh, Borderlines, yeah. I've noticed, they'll triangulate because they want you to love them more.
0: It's all about attention. It doesn't matter yes. if it's attention or bad attention. If you give them attention, it could be horrible attention. You could be cursing them out. They just want to fucking live in your brain rent-free. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Exactly.
1: So that happened on that day. It was actually probably one of the last good days I had with her, because, or at least before the first discard. That was one of the last good days. And it ended when I was going to be, I was in this low budget movie and I was going to be, I had a small speaking part in it and I invited her to the premiere with me and we were going to meet at a certain place and drive to the premiere, but she couldn't make it. And then insert narcissistic story. And she told me why she couldn't make it. And she said she went to sell her laptop and the guy that she went to sell her laptop to tried to steal it. So she had to chase him down and hit him over the head with something to get her laptop back. And I and I believed this for a second too, mind you. I was, I wanted to believe it, but then I finally took a step back. And I was like, you know what? There's no way that's true. Like there's no way that's true. It's just a story for her to like have an excuse to bail on me f- from going to this premiere. And and that was the beginning of a discard then too. Right? Where it's like I would try to text her. And she would just ignore me. And so it'd be like ghosty.
0: So I just had a thought and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but just maybe something I want to discuss. So you're saying she's beautiful. She's smoking. Mm Said that. Do you think maybe her thing is, is that she's uncomfortable with the fact that there's, it's just looks to her and there's no substance to her. So like, that's why she might act in her, like she, 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 you know, because we always hear like narcissists don't think much of themselves. Like they know they don't have a tremendous amount of value. So perhaps like she knows she's good looking, but she knows that there's not much else to offer.
1: I think with her, it's really just the attention, right? And she likes she and since she's good looking with her, I don't think she cares as much that it's more so because of her looks. I don't think she's really that capable of so the substance it's anyway. It's just about what she can get. Yeah. How many admiration? Things- yeah. She's getting admiration. And with social media, a covert variety like her, it, that's that gives them a good avenue to get supplied. Like you meet people online. You don't have to be out there and about and actually talk to people. You can just show your picture, right? And attention will come your way.
0: It's some fucking bullshit
1: caption underneath that like – Oh, yeah.
0: Like makes you seem like you're worldly or something. Oh,
1: dude. She was the queen of the bullshit ca- uh, captions like fill in the blank. I, I am not the storm. I am the storm or what, all that kind of nonsense.
0: Oh, she's standing like in a bikini in front of yeah. the was behind her.
1: Exactly uh, like that. And she had one of those for, she, she pulled all of those out and there's like really basic blah, 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 blah. But like, she wasn't really capable of depth. And that was something that I didn't know at the time. I, it took me a long time to realize that. But at that point though, when she discarded me the first time, it was a, a devastating feeling. I was like empty, just just like another drug withdrawal at this point. And it was because I was over-investing. I was like my feet were leaving the ground, and I was just obsessed with this other person. I wasn't getting fulfillment from my own life. I was seeking too much externally, and this narcissistic girl just kind of came in and filled that void perfectly
0: was it similar to like drug withdrawals as withdrawals? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just very similar to like an opiate withdrawal where like when she, and it's like this. When I was with her, it felt like life was in color. And then all of a sudden when she left, everything was black and white. And I didn't even look at any other women either. She was the only one I cared about. I saw her in color, every other girl black and white.
0: Dude, and you know what's funny? So I had my friend Mo on on this podcast, my best friend Mo, I think he'd go back, it's like episode 18 or 19. But Mo, like early on, right? Like he used to he used to say really derogatory things about her right after my discard. And I'd be like, dude, I know she discarded me, but that's my wife. Don't say that shit about my wife. And he'd be like, get your shit together, bro. He's like, she's <laughs> a bitch. And I'm like, I know, but that's my wife. And like now I like back and like, no, you can say whatever you want about her. <laughs>
1: No, I get you. I get you. So yeah, I was, I was devastated. So I went back to like working on myself again for a little while and enough time passes though. There would be hoovers, but right? she would eventually come back around I'd be like, Oh, Hey, J- Hey, Janet, how are you? And like, I was still like, I still wanted to hear from her. I wasn't healed. Like I still wanted her attention. I still wanted her to be like the drug. So we would have these sporadic times where we would like, I would get back in her good graces a little bit, and then we would go on some sort of adventure. We would go to, like, Belmar Beach and look at the bald eagles by Asbury Park and have a couple of drinks and do whatever. And, like, we would have, like, a little day adventure,
0: like, hook up, and that was it. And, and be then- no, to you, she'd still have other guys on the side, but, like, you're still, unfortunately, and don't take this the wrong way, but you're still a form of narcissistic supply hmm. to her. And there's narcissistic supply over here and there's narcissistic supply over here. And like, you're just one facet of that. Oh, you know what?
1: I even forgot to tell a part of the story here. So before this discard, the real discard was, the real first one was, it, became, it went full circle. I was back at Parks Casino with her and we were hanging out and she had a couple drinks. And then I had asked her, like, what's the deal with all these guys? That you're seeing, like the guy in California, this other guy that talks to you on Instagram or whatever. And she would always make sure she liked all of these guys' Instagram posts because she would make sure she liked all of my stuff. And then one day I went to check and I was like, I wonder how many other guys she's doing this to. And it was like 10 to 15 liking every one of their posts. Sure. But then the real bombshell dropped, right? They're ready for the bombshell. The bombshell was she said, Jed, I'm actually a sugar baby. And I have a lot of sugar daddies and I'm sleeping with them all. Wow. And I was like, wow, I was right. Wow is right. And that explained a lot of things. It explained on Instagram why she was traveling all over the world with no one in the pictures except for her. Sugar daddy's taking a picture. And she and I, I tend to believe this because she was drinking at the time. And I think she was telling the truth. Narcissistic people often tell the truth when they're drinking.
0: There's, well, there's always this weird thing. Like I can remember my next one time, like, you know, she was fighting with her mother and she was fighting with her sister-in-law who, you know, her brother was taking the side of the sister-in-law and she, like her whole family was fighting with her. And I remember this conversation I had with her where she was like, you're all I've got. And she's like, I don't want to lose you. I want to work on this and you're all I've got. And it was like one of the rare moments of truth. And I remember my response is, well, why don't you treat me better then? But like, (laughs) Yeah. They, they have these weird, like, revelation moments where they, they actually tell the truth. But that's so fleeting because, yeah. like, today they'll be back to whatever yeah. bullshit game they're on.
1: Yeah, because mostly, like, when they're sober, lies, 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 lies. But, like you said, occasionally, sometimes alcohol involved, sometimes not, they will tell some truth occasionally, but then they'll also regret it. And then they'll also try to take it back, too. Sure, oh, for sure. So, like, I wrote a book. My book, Radical Self-Respect, Avoid Falling for the Same BS, I wrote about this, and she read it, and she said, "Janet, I didn't have any sugar babies or sugar daddies, and I was like, really? Okay. So, so it's like, you're either lying then or you're lying now. All right, exactly. which, which one is it? I think you're lying now because you're pretty genuine at the time when you told me about all these sugar daddies, and why would you lie about it anyway? What is the advantage of you lying to me about all of these sugar babies or sugar daddies? And I, I guess the time I could have felt good that I was getting it for free. I guess at the time when everyone else was doing that, but it was a small consolation.
0: Well, it was not necessarily for free because it cost you your sanity.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> good point. Very good point. But so so at that point I couldn't see her as like a wifey girl anymore at that point. But I still did see her as a drug still. Like I would still hang out with her. I went to the beach with her and I would do those things. And one of the very last times I've seen her, we went to the woods and we were talking and she said to me, Jared, she just like offhandedly said, I want to have sex in the woods. And like she just passed it on. And then we did. And then we got caught by three cyclists in the woods that we were in the middle of nowhere. But somehow cyclists came through the woods and caught us. But that was the last time I'd seen her at this point, because I knew the game by then. I knew the game. The game was I could hang out with her, have a little fun, but it's just a matter of time before she devalues me and stops. And her version of the discard was just not just ignoring my text messages. Like and what, i try to see her again. It, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. She's like, oh, I would want to see her again and spend time with her. And she would just ignore it and just do her own thing so that was like the end of the discord there
0: and then right and like what's the difference between that and a drug right like so none right you have a drug and it's like this momentary i mean like who knows how long it'll last might you know you might have a binge right and like you go on this tremendous high where your dopamine receptors are just skyrocketing right and there's always the crash coming back down and it sounds like to me at least like you got sick of the the come down you got sick mm-hmm. of it the- you saw that- through it Right. I saw
1: through the pain. I saw through the nonsense. And I was like, you know what? I can't even idealize her anymore as a drug. I see too much of how she is. It's like she's a kid. She's a a very attractive like adult, but like she mentally is
0: a kid. You know, it's funny, too. And like how many times do we sit around and like, you know, we have like this big banger like the night before and we come down and go, oh, my God, I'm never drinking again. And then we go and we fucking drink again. Yeah. same sort of thing is like we we get out of these relationships and like the Hoover happens and we go, fuck, I know I messed up. But like it felt good at the time. And now you're like, well, will they change? I don't. It's the same thing with drinking. Like, right. will I feel good this time? Will I be able to hold it down? Whatever. And like same thing with it, with this addiction that we have to the narcissist. It's like when it's all over, like you have nothing but but shame right. and regret. Right. And yeah so I went back several times after I
1: should have called it quits a long time ago, right? I I picked up the drug of her like several times before it finally ended. And like, then I had to finally learn how to heal and be without a relationship because that's what it takes too, right? I had to be okay on my own. And a lot of it was developing my own goals and really diving into like what I need to be doing for my own life. And part of that was YouTube, And then later on it became Facebook and Instagram and that kind of stuff. But like me getting really into my purpose and giving back and because at the beginning of all this, right, after this discard, and this is probably about four or five years ago now, then I fell into I, I didn't even tell this part of the story. So finally, after that discard, I realized what I was dealing with. I was like, oh, wait a second. This was like a narcissistic person. And I dove into the the narcissistic content and I couldn't get enough of it. I was addicted to it. I was listening to the doctor How did you come across it? How did I come across it? It was really just like a a divine intervention type thing because I wasn't seeking it in any way. Like I knew about narcissism, but I had no idea the depth and how much of a part it was playing in my life and my upbringing. And I think I read something about Something about how they would always be cheating and lying. And I was like, huh, I wonder, I wonder if that's what I was dealing with. And it turned out, yeah, it was. And then I got that sixth sense moment. And the sixth sense moment was when I finally figured out, yeah, she's narcissistic. That's why she had all these sugar daddies and liked all this admiration. And she just didn't have a care in the world. And then I finally realized, oh, my my dad was probably a little bit like that, too. And oh, and my grandma was a little bit like that too, and maybe that's why my mom got with my dad because it was my mom's mom that was like that. And you and you see the pattern Fuck. down yeah. the down the line, and then and then you see it everywhere. I saw the a sixth sense meme the other day, which is by chance they call it a sixth sense meme. And he said, he goes, I see narcissists everywhere. They walk around like they're normal people, but they don't know they're narcissists.
0: And I was like, yeah. Dude, I, I, it got a really good reaction and it just came out like you know just verbal vomit one time but i said on one of these episodes like i don't know if you ever watched the walking dead and if you didn't mm-hmm. it's not a big deal but so like i just feel like i'm walking the earth and like i have no idea who's like the narcissist zombie and who's not right every now and then like i get bit by the narcissist zombie and i'm like fuck like it's <laughs> repelled by it but like yeah i just feel like i'm walking the earth of like narcissistic zombies and like Fun. Like they're just everywhere and you don't know it. But right. so how did so um you came across this whole thing and then how did you come up with the ris- Wizard of Radical Self Respect?
1: Well, so when I started listening to all these guys, so the OGs of the narcissism world were Dr. Romney, Surviving Narcissism, the guy from Texas, Meredith Miller from Inner Integration, um, Sam Vaknin, Richard Grannon. These were all the OGs of the narcissism world. And when I was listening to all of them, I thought to myself, you know, what could I have done to prevent, to prevent that whole situation from happening? What could I have done differently? And the answer I came up with was practice radical self-respect. So, like, when I saw things like that condom wrapper or the lie about chasing the guy in the parking lot or chasing down the guy about the laptop, right. all that stuff was BS, right? And if I had any self-respect, I would have either gotten to the bottom of it right then. Or just cut her off and realized, Jared, believe her actions, not her words. Believe her actions. Her her priorities will show by what she does. Right. And But I had no self-respect, no boundaries at the time. So I put up with all sorts of stuff. And you know some of that's the trauma bond. I was conditioned to believe that about myself. I was conditioned to put other people's needs first, to be a people pleaser. My thoughts and feelings didn't matter it was more important to make other people happy. Mm -hmm. So I was conditioned for all that. But I take responsibility now where I say, no, that's how it was. But that's not how it has to be. Now I can practice radical self-respect. And when I see red flags, yeah, I can act on them accordingly. I can see them coming from a mile away. I can be pretty careful about who I choose to invest my time with. And yeah, I've been single for a while now. And I have date and I'll do whatever. But I haven't had a situation like that for
0: a long time. Like everything's, when you say that, like, I just think like, you know, we are always works in progress and like, you know, we'd like to think that, you know, if we're faced with a certain scenario, then we would act differently. But also like something that I found about, you know, people who are victims of narcissistic abuse, we like to take people at face value. And like, we also like to kind of take people at face value. Um, So like. I can see how sometimes like certain boundaries might get overstepped from time to time that sure. you might. But the important thing is like, when you know that it's an absolute sinking ship, like you have to get off that ship. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, You and I talked about this on our episode. It's like, you know, when I, when I did your show, it's like, we look for red flags and red flags don't necessarily necessitate a pattern. But when you start to see the pattern, you owe it to yourself to practice that radical self-respect to bounce before you're trapped. Right. You know? And like we'll all have our reasons. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's prestige. Whatever it is. But nothing, personally speaking, and I can only speak for myself, but like nothing's worth that. You know, like I I have to have learned something from all the shit that I've gone through to never go through it again.
1: Well, you make a good distinction with that, where one toxic behavior, one instance of something toxic or like a bad behavior is different than a pattern of those behaviors. Right. Because anyone can have a bad day. Anyone can have like everyone has defects and shortcomings and sometimes they might act out on them. But a pattern of consistently acting out on them in an unaware way that's the big problem right because right. that's something that's that's bigger than just one thing
0: yeah and i and like i also look for it like a lot of times people, it comes like my job right there might be a push and a pull and a push and a pull and a put a high and a low and a high and eventually you get to the point where you're like what's the fucking point you know <laughs> like if if the results of me doing you know like i my next used to say to me is like oh you know um i don't know uh i'm not nice to you because you're not nice to me it was like well when i am nice to you though you still give me shit like it it doesn't get better when i'm better it it's the relationship is toxic and we're oil and water and we don't mix they're very slippery right so that was basically her flipping the script
1: on you with that kind of thing and you it's really hard to pinpoint those kinds of people down if they don't want to be accountable or ever admit when they're wrong they'll be extremely slippery with it. Like that's one of my favorite words for them because they'll slip and they'll slide and anything to avoid accountability and to get the attention off of their behaviors. And if you're not ready for it and you've been conditioned to be a people pleaser, put other people's needs first, you'll be more than likely to believe them and you'll agree with their assessment, even though their assessment's completely off base. Sure. But like you'll believe it because you've probably been conditioned to believe it if you had some sort of narcissistic parent growing up, but that's the solution now right when I and it's still hard i I do what I do, you do what you do, and some of the slippery ones they're still slippery like're they're, they're, they, they can still be tricky
0: but you don't have to hold on no, night. I don't hold on no yeah if we're going through this metaphor, if they're slippery, you don't have to keep trying to hold on to them let them slip away. Well, I guess what
1: I'm saying is I'll see them on social media sometimes. And some people will like interpret something I say in a way that's like a little weird. So it's not necessarily in my romantic life. It's more like I just see the personalities and I see the traits. And it is a slip. It's a slippery thing. They'll like they'll subtly flip the script, subtly change the subject, subtly get your attention somewhere else. And it's really sneaky and like they're just doing it. So naturally. Yes.
0: It's so second nature to them. It's wild. Yes. I totally get it. Well, you gotta practice. Take a page out of Jared's book and practice. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Listen, brother, we're coming to the end of the hour. So um do you want to plug your stuff and tell people where they can find you?
1: Sure, sure. So I am well, am I allowed to say my name here? Okay, so I'm like I'm Jared Mello on Facebook, the Wizard of Radical Self-Respect on YouTube. Uh, wizard underscore of underscore radical underscore self underscore respect on Instagram and revenge of the black sheep on TikTok. Those are all the places you can find me. Um, I do interviews on YouTube like I interviewed Mac here and I'll do solo videos there too. A lot of shorts and, and I'll post stuff to Instagram and Facebook too. But that's where you can find me and I help people with radical self respect. Oh and one more thing. I created a telegram community for people to talk about their stuff so if they're struggling with a trauma bond trying to leave a narcissist there's a community of people there there's about 20 people there right now where they talk about their issues with one another and they give each other help and the beautiful thing about helping is you can't help anyone else without also helping yourself so it's a beautiful thing seeing people help each other there in that telegram group
0: That's really, really cool. Well, listen, I think you're doing really cool stuff, man. I really, uh, I admire all the stuff you're doing. And I love the fact that you came from like this addictive, you know, kind of past to kind of turning your pain into power. And I think that's really admirable of you. So um, yeah, I think that's really cool of you. So thanks for doing this episode with us, Jared.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the invitation. I had a blast telling my
0: story here. It was very cool. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, until next time, everybody.